0: up on today's show super bowl 54 was one for the record books we partied we podcasted and we took our maiden voyage
1: on the tomahawk yacht we break down the greatness of andy Reid and why kyle shanahan drink called the right plays in the fourth quarter
0: cuban cigars halftime sexiness and the annexation
1: of puerto rico baby all of this and much much more coming up on another award-winning and super bowl trophy hoisting episode of the tomahawk show
0: Welcome, everybody, to the hangover episode of Super Bowl 54. It's your boy, Andrew Hawkins, the humblest of all co-hosts in the land, joined by my guy, Joe Thomas. Joe T., did you make it home?
1: I made it home. It was not a fun or pleasant experience getting home, but (laughs) you'll have that sometimes when you're heading back from uh, the Super Bowl or anytime you fly because... Apparently flight attendants don't have the strict policy of being up and waking up on time and getting to work that football players do. Mm.
0: So what happened? Tell me, did you miss a flight? Did it did uh mechanical yeah. issues
1: happen? Did you Yeah. <clears throat> so my flight out of Miami was 6:30 a.m. on Monday morning. Okay. So that means with traffic that never stopped in miami the entire time we were there doesn't matter what time you're leaving or what time you're going it was like an hour to go from miami beach to miami and from wherever you are to the airport's like an hour so right uh i left my hotel at 4 30 in the morning on monday after getting home from the game at almost 1 a.m so just a couple hours okay. a little cat nap get home from the game have a beer a little two-hour cat nap jump in the car go to the airport Plenty of time at the airport, uh, waiting for the plane and you get the dreaded, um, for those of you on flight Delta flight, blah, 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 zero, nine, four, eight, niner to <laughs> Atlanta. Um, one of our flight attendants overslept and is not here right now. Mm. They're en route and she will be here in about an hour, but that's going to cause about a 45 minute delay. So pretty much all of you guys are going to miss your connections. Wow. I'm like okay, that's not not great news because um, many of you may not realize this, but Madison is not the largest city in America and does not have a lot of flights that go in and out of Madison's <laughs> regional say, airport. I'm
0: shocked you didn't have a direct flight, but now it makes sense. Yeah,
1: yeah, there's no direct flights. You'd be to, the only person uh, going to,
0: from South Florida to to Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah,
1: it doesn't happen. It Does not exist. It's not L.A. Hawk. Uh, okay, there's three flights a day that go from <laughs> Atlanta to Madison. That's one of the big hubs. So I had to go. Fort Lauderdale to Atlanta Atlanta Madison and the Atlanta Madison flight I was on like you know the 8 a.m well we we missed that connection uh-huh. but of course being the day after the Super Bowl it's like one of the busier travel days of the year there's not really a lot of open seats just available at any time right so my next best option was I could go Atlanta Minneapolis Madison and get home at like seven pm and maintain my same uh, class of travel which, for uh, a guy like you hawk you probably don't understand but that's first class all right that's <laughs> the only way this guy yep. gets his big fat ass yeah. on an airplane is uh, I've it, never I've never had a first class flight so Actually the leg room is not the biggest issue when I fly coach it's the fact that my shoulders are too wide and so I'm kind of stuck doing like a scoliosis curve no matter where I am. Yeah. If I'm in the middle, actually the middle seat's the best because I can't curve either way because i got people on either side of me. But if I'm on either side, I have to do like the scoliosis curve and I've got a bulging disc in my back. So when I do that, it puts extra pressure on my disc and then my back spasms and then I'm the guy laying on the floor crying uh, <laughs> into the carpet because my back is spasming and I can't feel my legs. This is why it um, sucks to
0: be tall. This is like a this is the yeah. official podcast of the reason why you don't want to be above 5 foot 11. Yeah. It, it, well, like it, I it's said only the, the,
1: the the height is not the issue it's just the the broadness of the shoulders. Well the so, broadness comes um, with
0: the height. I mean I'm not going to be 5 6 of yeah, your shoulder width. That's true. I'd look well, like James Harrison.
1: <laughs> the, also, bet, i'm sure james is james is very short but he has no problem flying <laughs> uh, uh first class because it's worth it for a guy with shoulders that are twice the size of a normal coach seat
0: Well, real quick i was on a flight with james and this actually was one of the few times i was in first class james was two seats in front of me this is probably about six months ago so i come and i'm like oh james what's up man we make some kind of joke you know i go back and sit to my seat um he always, I'm always messing with him on social media, so he's always weird when I was going to say, funny. did he want to try to kill you? He's like, oh, you, he's like one of you're the guys, one. There man. he is, get him. Yeah, like, he's like, you little shit, but I don't care because, you know, I'm like the little gnat that just keeps prying, so I enjoy when I run into him. <laughs> I seen him again this weekend, and I made another joke, and he's like, I should I should crush you like a, a Mountain Dew can. Anyway, so we're on this flight, and we get turbulence, and, you know, everyone's walking by, and they get on the flight, like, oh, there goes James Harrison, there goes James Harrison, and they're like, you know, they're tapping their buddies as they're walking by. On the mm-hmm. flight, we get turbulence. And this dude freaks the hell out. Like, and it wasn't just like a, I'm three rows behind him. As soon as we start getting turbulence, he's in there like, oh, shit. My God. Oh, God. <laughs> no, he's not. Oh, what the hell?
1: Oh, <laughs> shit. Oh,
0: no oh, shit. Every little but I'm like, dude, James, you are going to scare people. I'm not even kidding. He freaks out on this flight.
1: Was he joking and trying to like play it up, or was he legitimate?
0: No, he was like, "Oh shit! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh, oh my!" Gosh. He was being dead. He wasn't even talking to anybody. He was just genuinely freaking out over this turbulence. That's
1: surprising. Being a guy that flies as much as he has, you know, playing uh, fifteen seasons or whatever. I mean, he's got to be used to it. But dude, he um, was freaking out. But anyway, so the bottom line is I got to see the inside of Atlanta's airport for like eight hours and tried to sleep in a chair for a little while after a couple hours of sleep that night. And it was not a it's not a pleasant experience. I ended up flying coach uh, Atlanta to Madison and got in at like five thirty last night uh, to kind of complete the Super Bowl experience on a little bit of a downer. And if you're listening and
0: you can tell by our voices, if they sound different, it was a very, very long week in Miami so this is if it sounds like Calais Campbell talking to Ed Orgeron that's because (laughs) me and Joe were using our voices all week long to bring the bacon home to the Tomahawk show listen it's a perfect time to say if you want to follow us on Twitter or social media Instagram Reddit at Tomahawk show join our Facebook group or leave us a voicemail 440-628-1376 we had a blast of a week
1: didn't we Joe? Yeah, it was awesome. I will say uh, the highlight of my week probably was um, just getting to hang out with Hawk a little bit. You know, oh, getting yeah. able to be on the Tomahawk yacht, uh, which I've renamed <laughs> uh, Tomahawk. Yacht. We, the Tomahawk yacht, doing our doing our the thing. The Tomahawk. The the only bright part about my bad Monday was um, I got a FaceTime at eight o'clock. Right when I landed in Atlanta, and I was fuming, pissed, right? Because mm-hmm. shit's upside down right now, and I'm pissed. Oh, and but you I hate getting Face off FaceTime from one of my Cleveland buddies, and I open it up, and they're still at the club. Eight <laughs> in the morning, and so they're showing me the club scene. You know, the the light is coming sort of through the door a little bit in the club, and all of a sudden I see, "Hey, Joe T, what's up?" And I look. And it's Travis Kelsey, and he is wearing the same outfit that he wore going to the stadium on game day. If you remember, he was wearing um, like these uh, glasses and like a really loud like Miami suit jacket thing. I I can't even really describe it perfectly. You'll have to go check out. I'm sure it was all over social media. Um, But he's wearing the same outfit. He goes, Joe T, I love you, man. And I'm like, oh, Trav, I love you too, man. Congratulations. And he goes, and I love mission barbecue <laughs> and I go, well, that's kind of random. He goes, actually, I've never had mission barbecue, but I love you so much that I'm just going to say I love mission barbecue. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's really awesome, man. You, you brighten my day. Congratulations. He goes, I got to get back to partying. See you later. There's only one club that's open till eight in the
0: morning in Miami. So I know exactly where he was. Yeah. They were at live. Yeah. Um, so That's incredible. Uh, you know, and then that's just a testament to how much he listens to the Tomahawk show. He's one of only two people to ever join the Tomahawk show four times. It's him and Kyle Rudolph. And they, you know, once you get to I think it's ten, you be you get inducted into the Tomahawk Hall of Fame. So he's on his way. He is building the accolades up, dog.
1: You know, you don't, you don't get to the Hall of Fame in three or four years, right? There's a minimum no. of seven, seven to ten. Right. And uh, we've got a couple tight ends that are right on the doorstep Ooh, right now. And they are. I think we're almost the official podcast of all pro tight ends at this point.
0: I agree, man. If there's one position that always, you know, rocks with the Tomahawk show, it's tight ends. So Travis Kelsey gets a W. Um, if you've been living under a rock, the Chiefs beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl. I was picking the Chiefs all week and I nailed it with my analysis, Mm. and then last minute Mm. I switched over to 49ers and let my heart screw me over, screw over the analyst in me, and, you know, here we are, man. What what was your biggest takeaway from the
1: game, Joe? My biggest takeaway was the narrative is that Kyle Shanahan blew it again, but actually I'm going to break it down for you. Please. Thank you. And and tell you why. Actually, what Kyle did at the end of the game with his play calling and how he was calling some passes when people, everybody was saying he should have been running the football was actually the smartest thing that he could have been doing. And if you break it down the way I'm about to break it down for you, he should be getting applause for how he called the game knowing that he had a quarterback in Jimmy G who wasn't playing at his best. Yeah, give it to me. Well, break it down for me. And here's exactly why, right? Give it to me. So let me pull up a couple notes that I took.
0: All right, ooh, notes. That means he's about to yeah. drop straight fire yeah, on we'll your Toma Flock ass. Cal. Listen, so the, the the narrative is, and obviously, you know, Cal Shanahan, he was the, the OC at the Falcons. They they lost a twenty eight to three lead to, to take an L against the New England Patriots. And in this game they were up ten, but I think about nine minutes left. They ended up losing by eleven, which is wild. But we I mean we talked about it even going in. We were like, yo, if it's if it's down to a possession and a half, possession or two. You're probably not going to stop Mahomes. Once he makes the decision that he needs to score, that's the scary part about him. There's not much you can do to stop that.
1: So let's set this up right now, okay? Because the big controversy that if you're listening to uh, people out in social media or in the national media is because they had a 10-point lead. There was, like like you said, like about nine minutes left. Mm -hmm. And Kyle, instead of just run, 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 he was throwing the football. And I'll tell you why that makes sense because, first of all, Patrick Mahomes was starting to heat up. Pat didn't really play all that well at the beginning of the game. The arm no. didn't really actually look right. He got hit a couple times. And and even from where I was sitting, which was kind of like right in the, the second level corner, I could still see he was floating balls that he normally doesn't float. Yeah. And the arm didn't just look as live as it normally does. But towards the end of the game, he was starting to get hot. And you could feel that in the stadium. And at the same time, That 49ers defense, for as good as it is, what the Chiefs started doing is they started adding in people in the protection from a running back and tight end standpoint to give a little bit of help on pass pro on those 49ers defenders. And uh, in the pregame show on Sunday on NFL Network – Mike Robinson, myself, Steve Smith, we were talking about the key to victory in this game is going to be the 49ers pass rush versus the Chiefs offensive line and pass blocking. If the Chiefs pass blocking is able to give Patrick Mahomes three seconds or more, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are going to win this game because that's what he needs to get those guys down the field to stretch the the defenses vertically. And that's why they have those speedsters on the outside. And then they've got a great tight end and Travis Kelsey underneath who can find those holes in the zone if they're going to try to play a zone coverage against them. And so three seconds was the cutoff. And um, let me just pull up a stat. Three-second cutoff. Three seconds. So um, in the second half, the Chiefs started putting a running back and a tight end on the edge to try to chip – or bump those defensive linemen before they get out into their routes to buy mm-hmm. a little bit more time, and that made all the difference in the game. So uh, Patrick Mahomes versus the Blitz in the Super Bowl, had 2.48 seconds to throw, and he had two touchdowns and no interceptions, and he was 6 of 9. Who was that? And Patrick Mahomes. You mean the second no half? No Blitz. This is during the whole game. He had two interceptions. I'm saying versus the blitz oh, versus in the, the blitz. game, gotcha. he was two touchdowns, no interceptions. All right, I'm back. Versus no blitz, he had three seconds to throw. He was 20 out of 33, but he had no touchdowns and, and two interceptions mm-hmm. um, and a 54% passer rating. So it's interesting how when they were blitzing, he was actually more effective than when they weren't blitzing. Yeah. But if, if you're painting the picture right now about Patrick Mahomes He's a guy right now that they've kind of figured out how to manage the pass rush. He's moving the ball down the field. So from Kyle's standpoint, he has to assume that when the ball gets back into Patrick Mahomes' hand, Patrick's gonna, he's going to throw a touchdown he's going to score a touchdown with that offense so if you have that assumption that when patrick gets the ball back he's going to score a touchdown you understand that from an offensive standpoint you still need to score to win the game you can't just run out the clock and win it because of how patrick's playing and how your defense is playing so with that understanding if you just run 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 the defense is thinking run 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 so they're trying to take it away so what were the chiefs doing they were blitzing and so running into a blitz is like guarantee either a loss yardage or a zero yard play it's almost impossible when when they're just throwing run blitzes at you from a defensive standpoint um offensively there's not a lot of run game that is effective so kyle's thinking was my best chance for success to score since jimmy g is not playing that well right now is to throw the football into the blitz, which is a huge advantage for the offense because they're able to block it up and it's going to give Jimmy G a lot better opportunity to throw the football. He's going to be more successful when they're blitzing in that and they're trying to take away the run. Instead of if he just goes run, run, run and punt, Patrick Mahomes is going to get the ball and score. Now you're in a situation where the Chiefs defense is playing uh, more conservative but they're trying to take away the pass which is going to make it even more difficult for Jimmy G to throw the ball and and get it down the field and so if you think about the odds of success of throwing when the defense is expecting a run are going to be a lot greater especially when your quarterback is not exactly playing at his best versus when it's the defense is expecting a pass and you're trying to pass to come back and win the game
0: yeah I mean, you're you're right. And we knew that going in. Like, it wasn't a surprise to me that that happened, right? Everyone knew. That's the part that kills me. When people have their narrative, they're going to run with it no matter what. They wanted to run with the Cal Shanahan Blue Ali, but the reality was everybody effing knew coming in, like, you're not going to be able to stop Patrick Mahomes. So if it does come to down to those couple of series where you can't score or, you know, have long drives, you're going to lose the game. I'll tell you where the game was lost. If Jimmy G hits Emmanuel Sanders on that deep post— yep. That's the ball game. It's over.
1: Like and that's that's the other thing people are overlooking. The plays that Kyle Shanahan drew up in those situations. He got guys open. Yeah. There was wide open receivers. There was a chance for success. There's a chance to score. There was a, a great probability of winning that game if they just execute very simple very simple but jimmy g wasn't able to do that he kind of crumbled in the the pressure situations and unfortunately for kyle now he's getting blamed for it and i don't know if you heard it after the game they uh, asked kyle what he thought about jimmy g's performance and he said he thought he played okay and he was really having a hard time kind of holding back because obviously you you don't want to throw your quarterback under the bus, but at the same time you realize that like I dialed up the perfect plays in the perfect situation and I got mm-hmm. people open and my quarterback just missed the throws. But now I'm gonna take the heat and it's gonna be part of my narrative. Right. And it's gonna be part of my brand right now that, oh, he blew the Super Bowl again. Uh in two two years because he didn't want to run the football and he clammed up which is actually the opposite of what he did because what got Kyle to the situation where he is right now as an offensive coordinator and where the 49ers are and where the Falcons were a few years ago when they were in the Super Bowl was his aggressive mindset he's unpredictable he's aggressive he's always got his foot on the gas exactly the way the Patriots always are that's why the Patriots have been so successful because he's got a quarterback that can execute when the time comes exactly because predictive is the enemy of success in the NFL, whether you're an offense or a defensive coordinator, because as soon as the other team figures out what you're doing, they're just going to call the perfect play for it. And so for Kyle, if he all of a sudden gets in a situation and starts getting nervous that, oh, oh I better just run the ball. So people don't s- say that I forgot to run the ball again, then. That's playing right into the defense's hands. You have to be the same coordinator you are at all times, which is unpredictable and aggressive, that keeps the defense on their toes. That way they can never tee off on what you're doing.
0: There was one time where I feel like the Chiefs had their number. That could have been bad. It was on a looky, they ran a slant concept. They must have blitzed, ran a slant concept into it, and he baited the the nickel defender, baited the slot, basically gave him the inside. Jimmy Drew went to throw the slant, and it almost got picked off by the safety. And it was like it wasn't just oh he made a great play it was they I don't know if it was they were baiting Jimmy G or they were baiting whoever but they doubt up the defense knowing that that's where Jimmy G was going to go and they tried to set him up for a pick the guy was literally probably four inches away from making that huge play and probably sealing the deal in in an even bigger way, um yeah I, I got a question
1: for you quick. give it to me so the narrative right now that you know Kyle choked and blew it at the end of the game because he forgot to run the football um, is powerful right now, but stupid. do you think, and it's definitely something he's going to have to own. Do you think that this is something that's going to affect and maybe change the way he calls games going into the future?
0: Um, Yes and no. Yes. In the sense of, you know, he's committed to Jimmy G for a while and I still think Jimmy G is a good quarterback. You know what I mean? I think he clammed up he's in a pressure good quarterback. moments. He's a lot quarterback.
1: It, it was the biggest stage of all time I, af, against the best quarterback in the NFL right now, and exactly. he just got outplayed. That and doesn't it, mean he's a bad quarterback, but he's just not as good as Patrick Mahomes. He missed four throws, five throws that literally
0: decided how his season, how he's going to feel for the next seven months, and and possibly a couple years until they get the opportunity again. But So I say yes in the sense that when they get back in that situation and Kyle has Jimmy Garoppolo as his quarterback, which he will – he is going to take how he handled that situation into account with this play calling. Not that everyone else is saying that he blew it. He won't take that into consideration, but he does have to take in consideration um his personnel. And if, if he was given that moment again, he probably would have run it or figured out a different way to call these plays that took it out of the hands of Jimmy G and put it into the and, and took a chance of something else because hindsight is twenty twenty. That being said, but like, but Kyle like, said is though, young. like
1: if he if he if he just runs it. Then they're punting, and then Patrick Mahomes goes down and scores. And now you got Jimmy yeah, G trying to run a two minute drill against a team that's trying to take away your two minute drill. And, and I don't mean just to run, I'm, I mean, they,
0: maybe they run the annexation of Puerto Rico or some okay. tricky yeah. shit that you know is a yeah. throwback and to the blitz, you're dumping it over to swing past the Debo Debo, throwing it back, like doing stuff like that. A Philly special situation. Yeah, that's what right. they we, we can
1: agree on that. That sounds like a great play.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it worked for the little Giants. I mean, come on that's that's a, that's based on a true story man um but anyway yeah so i think so Kyle, Kyle is young it sucks and you know how Kyle is he is going to be pissed for the rest of his life it's not something that ever is, is ever going to go away from him but the thing to keep in mind is he's so young he's going to have more opportunities at like this he's not where everyone else sometimes they have the perfect situation where they get to the super Bowl Kyle is getting here time in and time out now because he's a better coach than 94 percent of the people in the nfl and i don't think that's going to change i don't think they're going to catch up he will have another opportunity to be in the in the super bowl um and, and get it get at it like our next coach that we're going to talk about andy reed he finally gets one and it's well deserved man i mean he's been an incredible coach for so long and i don't care where you stand on that side of the debate it's like the one thing he was missing was a super bowl win and even if you don't like andy Reid and, and thought he was overrated at any point in time in his career it's kind of undeniable at this point about how great of a coach he is. And people love him, go to bat for him, and you, you truly love to see it.
1: I love Andy Reid. And he. everybody is saying how great of a guy he is. And it's almost become like the cliche, like that. Even if somebody doesn't really know Andy Reid, they're like, oh, yeah, he's such a great guy. Right, like, right. I've just heard people say that so much that I just assume it to be true. But really, the people that I know that know him, that have played for him, and I, I played for him a couple of Pro Bowls uh no big deal yeah Yeah, he's he's just a very professional coach he's extremely smart he's extremely bright he treats his players like men he knows exactly the details that he wants and he does a great job developing assistant coaches and for a guy that is one of the good people in the game it was really good to see him finally get over the hump and win that super bowl because now in my opinion there is no doubt about it that he's a hall of fame coach and unfortunately for a coach as successful as andy has been and as well-liked as he ha- ha- is, without a Super Bowl ring, you're not a Hall of Fame coach. Yeah. But now he gets over that hump, and he's able to win Sled the big up. game, which was part of the narrative around him was, oh, he couldn't win the big game. Um, so to get all that behind him, I'm so happy for him.
0: My favorite thing about Andy, that I have heard about Andy Reid was when I found out after bye weeks, during bye weeks, he gives his team the full seven days off.
1: Yeah, that's part of the reason they love him.
0: Yeah, I mean, because for people that don't know, you get you know from Sunday to Sunday, right, when you're bye week, you're off. You're supposed to, like, you don't have a game. But most coaches, like, after your Sunday game, you might come in to a meeting on Monday, and then you might have a a tune-up practice Tuesday, you know, Wednesday, just a walk-through. They'll let you off, and you come back Sunday or Saturday for a practice on Sunday, and then Monday you might be off, and then start your regular week the next day, whatever it looks like. Andy Reid, from the time the game ends until the next day, the next week when practice would usually be, he gives his guys off. Seven days off in the middle of an NFL season is, like, that's like four months to a professional football player. I'm not even kidding. I, could, I couldn't even imagine having a full seven days off during the season.
1: Well, Andy Reid was doing this even before the latest CBA, which yeah. he mandated five days off because back in the old days, there was no rules about how many days off during the bye week. And I'll never forget when uh, Mangini was the coach. It was like, all right, guys, here's what our bye week plan is going to be. We're going to give you five days off. All right, we're going to have you come in Monday. We'll give you Monday afternoon off. So that's one day. I'm going to have you guys come in Tuesday morning. But I'll give you Tuesday afternoon off. That's two days. <laughs> then Wednesday, we're going to come in, do a light practice, three hours, get a lift in. And that that's day four. And then you got all Thursday. And you don't have to be back until Friday afternoon. Five full days off. <laughs> I'm taking care of you, and when we get back, we're going to do a two-a-day Saturday and a two-a-day Sunday. <laughs> to make and up the
0: time we lost on Thursday I'll and give Friday. you
1: all Monday night off after a two-a-day, <laughs> and then you get Tuesday off, and we'll start the week all over again. Disgusting. And uh, so we never got more than like... <laughs> 36 hours off uh when Mangini was there and then thankfully the new CBA came out and then they would give you a five-day stretch but Andy Reid was giving guys a full seven days off and now what I will say about and is he treated you like adults like men and when you came back though after those seven days You were bumping. You were getting after it. So it's not like he was a powder puff coach, but he just understood like you had to have a little bit of balance. And if you give something to players that they really want, it's just like a negotiation. Hey, you give them those full seven days during that bye week. When they come back, they're going to give you more out of it, right? But if you just try to screw players and try to mess with them and give them like Thirty-six hours and try to trick them into thinking it's five days off. <laughs> then when they come back, you're not going to get a lot out of them, and they're going to be really pissed, and they're probably going to be sluggish. Then the next game, and Andy Reid's record after a bye was insane. It's for like a while. yeah, it's it was like, like thirteen and one or something crazy.
0: I want to say even now, it's it's still something similar. It's like seventeen and two or something crazy. Like he's by far kicks everyone's ass after a bye week because his players, ching, are the most <laughs> rejuvenated. Uh, who would have thought? All right. So my next question for you, Joe, is this, right? Who has who is a better chance of building a dynasty? The 49ers or the Chiefs? Which one of these teams is are we watching the
1: beginning, beginning of a dynasty for? I like this question because it's very simple. And even though I did not have a production meeting for this amazing podcast, yeah. uh, it's the Chiefs because when you build a dynasty, even in today's NFL, which... Um, it doesn't rely on the stand back in the pocket, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Philip Rivers type anymore. Um, when you have that great quarterback, that generational talent like Patrick Mahomes with an unbelievable arm, an unbelievable brain, and you pair that with a fantastic offensive mind like Andy Reid, uh-huh. that's where you can have generational success. Um, I love Kyle. I think his offense is fantastic. But this year they relied on an outstanding defensive line. And when you have great defenses, if you look back the last 30 years in the NFL, you're going to have a lot of peaks, but you're going to have valleys because in order to keep a great defense together, it's kind of like links on a chain. On defense, you're kind of only as good as your weakest group. And so when you have a great defensive line like the Niners have, it's really hard to keep all those guys together because those guys start hitting free agency, and then they start going elsewhere because Mm -hmm. you can't pay 11 dudes to keep them together the way – um, if you have a great offensive quarterback all you got to do is pay him and then maybe pay one or two weapons and for the most part you can kind of get by with serviceable veterans at the other positions right. uh, on offense so you can keep that that really good team together for a long time but um, if you look at the, the Seattle Seahawks they were the legion of boom right those guys left and then they kind of fell off now they still have Uh, maybe the second best or the best quarterback in the game, depending on how you shake things out, and Russell Wilson. um, Mm -hmm. And so now they've kind of come back up. But uh, you look at the Ravens from 2000 when they won the Super Bowl. They did it with defense. And then it was really hard for them to get back. They didn't win again until Ray Lewis's last year in the NFL because just keeping those great defenses together is almost impossible.
0: Yeah, and and if you look at the Chiefs, they're not even probably with their best defense they're going to have over the next five years. At some point, they're going to have a really good effing defense, and they're still going to have Patrick Mahomes. So it's going to be very easy with them. AFC last year, Super Bowl champ this year. Next question, the Browns. A lot of Browns getting rings, man. A lot of former Browns. I tweeted that out. People were not happy about it. They did not like yeah. that take. Browns
1: not. fans don't like being reminded that we have yeah. some really good players over the years that uh, everybody hated when they were here, and they thought they were bums. But, whoa. Oh. Lo and behold, you go somewhere and you put some other good talent around them and they for, look pretty good.
0: Or good coaching, right? I mean, yeah. Cam Irvin is an example. Everyone's like, oh, he's stunk here. It's like, man, he was a kid. There was nobody teaching him. Like, he had to learn how to do it. And I mean. Yeah, there's nobody teaching
1: him. He didn't have any good players in that room to help yeah, him. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he had a
0: vet to look up to. I mean, give the guy a break. He's out there trying to figure it out on <laughs> his own. Shit, if we had a leader in there, if we had someone that would take the guy under his wing, right. show him the ropes and not just worry about himself, then. Who knows what that guy could have been with the Browns? But, yeah, Mitchell Schwartz, Cam Irvin, Austin Ryder. Who else? What other former Browns are there on there? Andrew Wiley. Andrew Wiley was was a a The first backup guard. Yep. Um, Um,
1: I'm not sure if there's anyone else.
0: We basically just gave him our entire offensive line from – 15 16 and 17, at one point they're therefore in telling to protect the best quarterback talent in the world
1: <clears throat> yeah at, at one point they had some injuries on the line during the season but four out of the five starters on the chiefs offensive line were guys that i played <laughs> with in the offensive line room in cleveland because it was andrew wiley cam irving austin Ryder, and mitchell they were all starting that's funny all right well
0: uh the halftime show you seen that up close and personal did any make you put uh a blindfold on when that was going on. How did that work at the game?
1: <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because when you're at those games, your perspective on everything that happened is so different than when you watch it on TV. Yeah, <laughs> because when you're at the game, first of all, there is way more socializing than I usually like. Because when I'm watching a football <laughs> yes. game, I'm I'm I want to watch it like a coach. I'm like, don't right. talk to me. I want to watch every second of what's going on. And if I have a chance to watch it on TV, I want to listen to the analysis. I like. I want to be in there and I want to be part of the strategy, but. When you're, when you're at a game, first of all, you're talking to people, and, and people are talking to you, and maybe you're going to get uh, a beer, or in, in the case of Andrew Hawkins, you're going to get another lobster and caviar, you're going to pop some champagne, and uh, you miss things. And so during the halftime show, I was trying to watch, but our seats were not exactly a uh, 50-yard line right in the front. Uh. And so we could kind of see what was going on, and it was really exciting because uh i'm actually secretly a big shakira fan uh j-lo secretly. she's cool like I, I i like some of her stuff but I really, myself. I, I really like shakira and so i like in those halftime performances how they do kind of like a mashup of all their greatest hits for like 30 40 seconds uh-huh. and the dancing was great choreography it was enormous it, it, they had about uh 10,000 ants that were bringing pieces of the stage out for like a good five minutes at the beginning of the halftime show, which was pretty fascinating to watch. So uh, I loved it. I thought it was it was really cool. What was your take?
0: Yeah, no, I thought it was cool, man. I guess there's a lot of controversy around like maybe it was too sexy, people said. But they didn't say that last year when Adam Levine was bumping nipples, <laughs> you know, playing the guitar on stage. There's no shirt on. All the, all the
1: moms love that. Well, here's one thing that I realized after being down in South Beach for uh, my first time is that Latin culture, especially like in South Florida, is just a lot different and there's a lot more skin involved and it's just normal. You don't even think about it. like. We were, we were down on South Beach right across from Muscle Beach, which was our our pregame set on game day, mm. and the the things that people were wearing just walking around were outrageous. I mean, you would have been thrown in jail if you walked around like that in Wisconsin for being naked, of course. You'd also get
0: hypothermia, but besides yeah, but, that,
1: but besides that illegal. Uh, it was just amazing. I mean, that's just part of the culture. It's a very uh, sexy culture that they don't wear a lot of clothes, a lot of nice bodies, And uh, they like to dance. And so if you try to take that out of their performance, it would have been horrible because that's not who they are. Like you can't ask those two people to do a halftime show and then go and ask them to wear a trench coat. Like that's not who they are. Like you got to let them be who they are, and that's what they signed up for. Uh, And so I had no problem with it. I think everybody that knew anything about Shakira and J-Lo had to expect it, and certainly the NFL had to. It's wild that J-Lo is 50 years old. That's exactly what, and she cares like 43. Yeah. That's exactly what we said after watching that. And my wife's a huge fan of both of them. And so she was all jazzed up. And, you know, I was pretty excited because I, I thought it was really good. And <laughs> so we were dancing around at the game when we were watching it. And when it was over, she goes, Do you believe Chalo is 50 years old? That's wow. And I said, First of all, that's amazing because she looks amazing. But the way she still moves is incredible. It's yeah, like you're she's like, a man, 25 look at her old. knees. Joe's hip is like, man, I was I was job. Like, what do you do for your knees? you <laughs> Like stem cells or what uh, can I walk at least? Like, she doesn't me. even I need ahead. help. Oh Honey, wow. I've been like that.
0: Honey. <laughs> check out those shoulders. She leaves them all the way to the air. How about <laughs> that? That's amazing. <laughs> all right. So halftime show. What else we got here? Oh, Radio Row. What was your favorite moment from Radio Row? Can I just say we killed it on Radio Row? Like yeah. we've done it three <laughs> Super Bowls in a row. We're always the talk of the town, man. And we we're just when we get together, the electricity that just comes into the room, <laughs> everyone can feel it. You yeah, definitely I mean, made an full- insider trading
1: joke on Martha Stewart. That was <laughs> a bucket list moment for me. <laughs> yeah. We are definitely full of crap ninety-nine percent of the time oh, yeah. on this show. Absolutely. But uh this is the time we actually are not full of crap because Tomahawk show NFL Network, we collaborated like the biggest rappers in the hip-hop game yeah (laughs) and we used our star power which is non-existent with the nfl brand which is the most powerful brand (laughs) in america and we were able to book our greatest guests of all time obviously um we had martha stewart Mm. we had mc hammer we had russell wilson and on down the line um And so my favorite moments, I'll give you my top three, which are those three people that I just mentioned. First of all, Russell Wilson, when he was breaking down his style and how his style has improved a little bit with Sierra, but he also gave us some style tips. And if you remember, he was talking about having good style is just like having a good basketball game. You got to have inside, you got to have mid-range, and you got to have that outside. Versatility. And Yes, you got to have that versatility, right? Your inside game, that is your casual, right? Everybody's got a pretty good casual game, right? That's your t-shirt and your, your basketball shorts. No problem, right? Your uh-huh. outside game is like your suits and stuff like that. That's pretty easy, right? That that's your, your fa- fancy stuff. But it's that mid range game. That's, what you that's really yeah. attracting the eyes. And and Russell said he he worked on his mid range game because he was kind of a nerd. And I told him that you did. And then when right, <laughs> right around the time, uh, Hawk uh, started sweating profusely <laughs> when I said that, he's like, "You can't call Russell Wilson a nerd to his face." I'm like, "Me and Russ go way back." But he's going to tell Wisconsin Sierra guys.
0: and then she's going to hate our show. <laughs> Which means my wife so, is going to hate our show if Sierra hates our show. It's a trickle down <laughs> effect. Sierra hate our show, so yeah, that's the right. new. She but
1: and, but he was like, you know what? The, the key to, to scoring Sierra is because I improved my mid range game, my like casual but dress casual outfits, and uh, I, I thought that was pretty awesome.
0: That was good, man. It was good. Yeah, I enjoyed the Martha Stewart interview where you uh, made a joke about insider trading. You talked to her about weed, and you talked to her. About cooking, but also betting on the NFL network, um, which is a strict no betting zone. Yeah, the NFL we, like we, we're not
1: even allowed to like bet on horse races. We can't even, wait, just, you we, can't even go in a casino. We
0: can't talk about betting to each other on our show because we're affiliated <laughs> with the NFL network. And here comes Joe asking her if she took the over under and how much money. She's like, oh, I threw 40 bucks on the on San Fran. I'm like, you know what? A couple prop bets on the side. <laughs> I'm like, all right, well. I thought that was going to be over within the first two interviews, but we actually we did a really good job, and it was very you know everyone had a good good time.
1: the 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 number one guy at uh, NFL Network came up to me after that, and I I thought we were like toast, but like Hawk said, this is actually not a lie. For once, Uh, (laughs) they were like, "That was awesome." He said, "That is my favorite moment from the Super Bowl week." And right as soon as that was over, they were like, "We need to do more of this." (laughs) And so, hey, you never know, Tom Hawk show might actually be called back on the NFL Network again, because it seemed to be people uh, were really talking about it, and and they they thought it was pretty funny.
0: Well, it's funny. When we first started this podcast, when it was just me and you, and we didn't think anybody would listen to this stupid show, um, we wanted to call it the Tomahawk Podcast, and we were like, you know what? Let's just call it the Tomahawk Show, because who knows? One day, we might be on TV, and it wouldn't make sense to be the Tomahawk Podcast on TV. And we were like, you're an idiot. Okay, let's do it. And that's how the Tomahawk (laughs) Show got started. Um, other other <laughs> underrated favorite moment is Antonio Gates giving us the perspective of the the Chargers that game where we escaped an, a, a winless season in 2016, and he was saying how for seven weeks they were counting down, hoping that we would get a win because they didn't want us to be winless when they played us the second to last game of the season because it would be too much pressure on them. Underrated moment.
1: I, I especially like that moment because I we knew that exact same thing. I remember walking onto the field in that game and just thinking like we're going to win this thing i can see across the field how scared they are that if they <laughs> lose to the browns and the browns get their first victory of the season on christmas eve that is going to be so much worse for them than it is good for us yep. and they are just so afraid of it and sure enough they played tight just like it was our super bowl because it was everybody's super bowl that night we won the game and antonio gates confirmed it for us which was pretty cool yeah um how about having an mc hammer on that was pretty cool I, I thought that was awesome, and and I'll tell you my favorite part. The stories he was telling were great, and he kind of threw a lot of shade at today's uh, artists. Yeah. He was like not being in shape, and not in being in shape, and not being as lazy committed. Pieces. Of- <laughs> he was saying how back in his day they would wake up and run six miles and they hit the gym and they were all in great shape for their shows uh and how today's artists are just it's just i want to take a pill and chill type music uh which was pretty funny but my favorite thing was every time he made a point i don't know if you noticed this hawk he would kind of give this like little stare at the, camera the camera and kind of give it like a little <laughs> wink and a little head shake and kind of point at the camera like You're yeah right. that was pretty good a i saw so you got to go back and watch that. That was really funny because he was really
2: feeling himself on our show.
0: Yeah, but that was fun. I can't believe I got to talk to MC Hammer.
2: At one point, you guys asked him about BT ranking him the seventh best dancer of all time. Oh, he was hot about that. That was a great question. He put himself first, and then after he thought about it, he goes, actually, James Brown, Michael Jackson, after that, it's Hammer time. (laughs) After that, (laughs) Hammer time. (laughs)
1: Oh, man, you got to love it. So we had busy schedules during the day. We had a lot of work obligations. Obviously, we talked about doing the podcast, and then both of us were doing things independently for the network during the day. But did you get a chance to go to any killer parties at night? I didn't, man. I went to dinner with you and
0: we with the Jim Browns party, and that's the only party I was really on the list for. So had you not invited me, um, I wouldn't have been anywhere. I was like prepping a lot because in the shows that I was doing, I was hosting. Honestly, all the shows was like a, a host role. Our Tomahawk show, me and you had to host. Uh, Game Day View, I had to host. I did the Red Carpet show with Rachel Lindsay, the former Bachelorette. I had to host. So there's a lot of prep that goes into that and scripts and sh- shit like that. So I didn't feel good about going to parties. But even if I wanted to, I wasn't on the list for any. Um, in the height of my popularity, even still, it's, it's just more the same, man. You know, and just more Tomahawk content to talk about how I'm getting escorted out of the line because I'm not on the list.
1: <laughs> yeah. I didn't um, hit up too many parties. The uh, only night that I tried to hit up some parties was Friday night. So my wife got in Friday, uh, Alex Mack and his wife got in. And so we were, I didn't have anything going on on Saturday until a little bit later. So I was like, all right, Friday will be the night that I'll go out. We'll hit some of these parties. And it was the the barstool party and there were some other good parties. Um, and like we talked about in the show the barstool party two out of the last three years was awesome um one year it was totally whack so we're like hey let's (laughs) check it out and unfortunately Monday or Friday night was the night in Miami where it just poured rain like yeah ugly but anyway so we go to barstool and as soon as we get in there it was you you knew instantly it was so whack like um Big Cat had given us VIP tickets, which, you know, sometimes that's amazing. Like when last year in Atlanta, the VIP in Barstool, you walked in and there was like a sushi chef making whatever sushi you wanted. Uh They had like a, a whole buffet line of barbecue stuff that you could make your own barbecue. They had two or three bars. They had like big buckets of beer. You could just go over and grab them. I mean, you couldn't walk 10 feet without having like delicious food or an amazing drink. And that was awesome. And then they had your own, like, VIP section to stand up there and to watch the fights because it was also their, like, uh, rough and rowdy brawl, so amateur boxing, essentially. Right. Um, So as soon as we walked into this place, it was this giant, like, open-air, like, tent and they had like some bleachers set up and that was like the VIP area. And so we're like, all right, well, let's at least check it out. So we did a lap. We walked up into like the VIP area, saw Taylor Lewan, which was cool. I was like, Hey, what's up, man? Hey, that's my and, guy. And uh, went over to the bar and the, the VIP line at the bar was like 30 bros deep. And <laughs> it, it would have taken no less than a half hour to get a beer. And as soon as we saw that, we we're like, we're out of here. Let's of go. Here. This is whack. Well, I ended up hearing, I'm not sure if you heard this, but like, a Little bit later in the night, I don't know if it was because of all the rain or because of they're using a lot of power, but the, I guess the power went off for the whole party. Oh, wow! And like the police had to come and just escort everybody out of there because it's dangerous. Like, yeah, if you're in a party with 10,000 people that are all drunk bros and all of a sudden the lights go out, I like that you keep calling them bros. Yeah, they're gonna be pissed that all of a sudden stuff's gonna happen, not good stuff. And so, uh, I can firmly say that Barstool's batting. 50 percent right now because this party this year was totally whack uh, uh, i'm not sure if i'm gonna go back but alex max saved the night so i I said let's go to bar barstool strike out my fault so we ended up going from barstool to uh we found just any bar that was close at that point we were just you know sahara desert in our mouth (laughs) and he found a cigar bar which every place that was inside at that time was packed because it was raining so bad that if you've ever been to South Beach, a lot of clubs and stuff are outside. They've got outside areas, and so when it starts raining like crazy, everybody just scurries inside like cockroaches. Mm-hmm. So we go to this like cigar bar that turns out to be like the Cuban version of Sopranos Cigar Bar. Like everybody in there was like a Cuban <laughs> mobster, and somehow we walk right in and get like four of these ultra comfy chairs with uh, this great little seating uh, table and uh-huh. a waitress comes right over and it's like what can I get you and instantly I knew I'd fallen in love and <laughs> we ended up spending like the next four hours there eating great Cuban food uh smoking great cigars probably Cubans but who knows and enjoying like an epic scene from the Cuban version of Sopranos <laughs> and so thank shout out to my guy Alex Mack for finding an amazing classical South Beach scene which i'm a big fan of the scenes do you like scenes like i'm really interested in different scenes in different states and different cities and different cultures because there's always kind of like the same theme you know there's like the dudes that are trying to come up and climb to the top then there's like the attractive women um and then there's like people that are feuding over stuff it's just fun to sit back and watch yeah
0: i'm not big into the scenes i don't like humans i'm not i'm not big into being part of it but i like watching it yeah yeah no i guess I guess I guess I could see where you're where you're coming from on that. I don't know what I'm into, man.
1: I definitely wasn't in the Cuban mob that night, but I just enjoyed watching the interactions. It was you, just fascinating It was
0: fascinating to see a different yeah i guess i I can see that where you're in like in a different setting and it's like if you feel comfortable. It's still it's cool to like look and be like oh man this is just different than what I've ever seen before. Different, I love different. Yeah, yeah. it
1: wasn't like I was I was in there like making friends or anything, but just right. sitting back and seeing like the the host would like come over and he would see like one of his buddies that must have been like a big wig and he you know right over and gives like the bro hug and he like oh, whatever you need man you know kind of wheeling and dealing it like, yeah. was kind of funny.
0: See that big guy? Let's kill
1: him. Yeah, whatever. Kill <laughs> <need, laughs> him. Mean, yeah, we'll take care of it. But the night's over. I'll bury the body. <laughs> so Friday. Friday night for me was a big night I, I stayed out way too late um but uh saturday it was a little bit more of a chill day they had nfl honors and got to bed early saturday night um but you were actually hosting nfl honors on the red carpet how did that go
0: yeah i did man i hosted the red carpet uh it was cool i did it with rachel Lindsay, who was a lot more famous
1: than me so that was awesome hmm. um cause that's I- always good to come up on people that's why i'm your friend buddy Everyone yeah. keeps talking about how cool Hawk is and how he's really going to be huge in this business. I'm like, I better hang on to that guy, <laughs> right? And then I'm trickling it up to Rachel Lindsay. Um, but It was cool. I got <laughs> so to talk to Lamar. Up on her.
0: Lamar came around. He's is even better in person than you know I'd imagine. Super cool, humble dude. Um, obviously, hmm. won the MVP that night. I got an autograph from Curtis Martin. Big Curtis Martin fan. He signed my uh, my football, so I have the football. Where I have, I'm trying to get the top eleven. Rushers in NFL history, and when we were on the set at Radio Row, they were getting annoyed because I was walking off a set trying to run down Barry Sanders and all these people. I'm yeah, only—you're not gonna lie. You're not gonna the lie, only what?
1: person, the, the only person more excited about getting all these autographs on that ball than you are is me, because then I don't have to hear about it anymore, and it doesn't <laughs> have to be a distraction from our job. Because we're sitting there on Radio Row on the Tomahawk <laughs> set, and MC Hammer's like coming up on the stage and we're like holy Ugh. crap this is mc hammer we better have some funny content and some funny things <laughs> to talk about and hawk sees or hears that like barry sanders is uh in the other corner of the convention center and yeah. he's one of the guys he still needs on the football and he just vanishes so we're gonna make <laughs> mc hammer wait who's a really busy guy and he already doesn't want to be there on the tomahawk show and we're gonna make him wait so that hawk can go try to run down and fanboy barry sanders
0: yeah it, it's worth it though i mean come on this is, you know, so on this ball, listen, listen to this list of, of autographs I have on this football. I have Walter Payton, Emmitt Smith, Jim Brown, LaDainian Tomlinson, Jerome Bettis, Eric Dickerson, Curtis Martin, and Frank Gore. All I'm missing is Adrian Peterson, Barry Sanders, and Tony Dorsett. And you know what? I'll add Marshall Falk because I'll go top 12. we were actually with Marshall on the yacht. I was going to say, and, you, and I went you to introduce myself
1: because Marshall was at that yacht party. That I, I introduced, like he's
0: sitting there. It's Marshall Falk. I'm not going to not say something to Marshall Falk. So I walked up and I'm like, hey, Marshall, I'm Andrew Hawkins, man, pleasure. He was like, man, get out of here. I know you are, Hawk. And it was <laughs> so just that you. was the interaction. Like, All right. And then I went back and got a drink. <laughs> like he dabbed me up I <laughs> was like, what the hell are you talking about? You were, it made me feel good. I'm like, Marshall Falk knows who I am.
2: You were starstruck by your own fame. Yeah. Hawk, <laughs> of those eight autographs that you have, which one was the hardest to obtain? Um, because you were sprinting around Radio Row looking for Barry Sanders at the Bismarck, North Dakota ESPN affiliate, trying to track him down.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Eric Eric Dickerson was tough because I got most of them at the Super Bowl. So I so the the backstory is I went to a charity auction for Emmitt Smith, um, like seven years ago, and in the charity auction he had a football that was signed by him and Walter Payton, right? And it only went for like, I want to say like two thousand dollars. Which sounds like a lot of money, but honestly, if I just, it was charity, it was a write-off, number one. Number two, if I had taken that and then just sold it right away, it would have probably sold for $10,000. So, I mean, it's a lot of money and $2,000, but it was already worth way more than that off the rip. So then when I signed with the Browns, not too long after, I'm like, I'm going to get Jim Brown in this ball. And my son's really into it, and he's like, Dad, let's try to get all the running backs. I'm like, yeah, let's try to get all the best running back. So that's how it started. <laughs> so every Super Bowl, I bring this ball down. Um, Eric Dickerson, what I had to do is I typically Google where these guys will be at. So, like, Eric Dickerson, I had to Google, like, his appearance at this party. And I had to, like, weasel my way into it and then go find someone that I knew. Um, actually, Jayon Brown's brother, who's a linebacker for the Titans, he worked for Steinberg Sports. He was at this event. We ran into each other. I'm like, he's like, hey, introduces himself. This like, four or five years ago. I'm like, hey, you think you can get me back there where Eric Dickerson is? He's like, yeah, I'll walk you right back. And that's how I got back there, got the picture with Eric Dickerson, got the ball signed. But that was the hardest one so far. Tony Dorsett, he's going to be a tough one.
1: Does Tony Dorsett not come to any like big events like the Super Bowl? I
0: think they all are there because there's just too much money to be made for Hall of Famers, mm. right? Like so, like they they are all in. They all descend upon the the Super Bowl City. It's just tough trying to figure out where they are. You know what I mean?
2: This year was a big year with the 100. All those guys being on the field. Yeah, thing. they were
0: definitely all there. They were definitely all there. I'll get them. Oh, I'll get them. Okay, that that is a, that's a guarantee. All right. So um, NFL honors. Yeah, no, it was cool. Got an <laughs> autograph from Curtis Martin. Uh, that was awesome. You know, seeing a lot of cool people that you don't get to see. Talked to a lot of cool people. Jarvis Landry. I interviewed him twice this week. Um, the McCordy brothers. I interviewed them twice. Ric Flair. I interviewed Ric Flair. That was a good one. Was so was that moment. the
2: highlight of the red carpet?
0: Yeah. I, well, Ric Flair wasn't on the, the red carpet. His was on my other show. Oh. But that was a highlight meeting and hanging out with Ric Flair.
2: Didn't you say he was wearing like half a million dollars in jewelry?
1: At least a half a million dollars in jewelry. <laughs> I, he he I, had a lot of ice. So I had Ric Flair on Saturday on the show that I was hosting. for My first time hosting, by the way. How'd it go? And, uh, That's a big deal. It, it was terrible because uh, <laughs> I walked hard. into it and uh, did not know I was hosting um just uh-huh. assumed it'd be like every other show i've been on where i'm the analyst you know but now that I, I i walk up and it's me and lt and they're like uh pretty sure you're hosting and i'm like okay who, we, who are we interviewing today i guess i'm doing the host role and so rick flair was one of those guys and that, he was actually one of the easy ones because i'd um i'd been on the one of the nfl shows with him previously uh-huh. in i think minneapolis it was um or maybe no maybe it was atlanta and so he's great he's just a huge football fan he's just an interesting fun guy he knows and he was he was telling us some really cool stories because obviously he has a big party history um and this was before we went on the set he was talking about how he's staying in the versace man mansion right now yep there's only like i guess there's eight rooms in the versace mansion it's got a restaurant around the pool but then there's like eight rooms if you're super famous and super rich you can stay there always stay there so he was staying there the whole week and he was describing like um what everything looked like and how there's like this secret passageway that you can kind of go up through one of the rooms and it goes to this secret area that's like a sushi bar for just the eight people eight rooms that stay there and then that's like the most exclusive part of the most exclusive hotel Hotel. in miami (laughs) but we all know there's two levels in Miami, right? There's like just regular rich people that stay at all these fancy hotels. And the, the, the pinnacle of that is Versace manor. But then after that, it's all the boats. Like yeah. if you're staying on the yacht, that's the next level of, yeah. of wealth. And that's where like Tom Tomahawk show is going for, yeah, sure, next for time. sure. Next time around we'll be, we'll be staying in the yachts.
0: So grade your hosting skills. One to 10.
1: I would say what's the worst one. Or <laughs> yeah, Cause one. I got that one. It you really awful. felt that because, bad about it? Yeah, I'll tell you why. Because it's not that it's all that hard, but you gotta know what, okay, who am I tossing to? Who am I getting it from? What are my intros? What are my outros? Yep. And then who am I interviewing? You're a because, prep
0: guy too. You're like me.
1: And I'm a prep guy, right? And so if I know those things and I prep for a half hour, that's all I need. Like yep. there's no problem. It's it's game over. Like I'll, I'll kill it. Um, but when you're interviewing people that you don't necessarily know or know of because they weren't all football players that we had on the show right um i'm trying to in in the few seconds i have before we go on like quick read their bio and think of a couple potentially interesting things to ask them at the same time i'm trying to figure out how am i going to bring the show in and then ask the first question and be the point guard of the show. And at the same time, I'm I'm not in the same room as the producer because a lot of the production was happening in L.A. And my earpiece isn't working, so I can't hear the producer. Right. And then on top of that, I can't see the monitor, so I don't know who is tossing it to me or who I'm tossing it back to. So anyways, like just knowing those simple things to make it sound smooth and seamless is something that a viewer or a listener— wouldn't even notice, but when it's not there and it's not smooth, it just sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't smooth and it wasn't there. So it was it was probably terrible.
0: And you're like me, man. You're a prep guy. I was talking with uh some other times at the NFI network. Like like Nate Burleson is like he's a social butterfly type. So if you've mm-hmm. ever been around Nate, like just hanging out, that's his that's his thing. He can talk to anybody about anything. Oh, yeah. He's just he's naturally curious. So he just wants to hear everything and interject like he can figure out a way to interject, like a shared experience or some overlap in any conversation so when he hosts it's like that's just who he is for yeah. us we are prep guys and it, it's very kind of it's basically overlaps who we were as players because we were the same kind of players like we didn't we wanted to go into the game having thought about and prep for every single scenario when I'm hosting it's the same thing and I'm like even when it comes across like I'm just making small talk or or it's just little jokes here, or that question seem off the cuff, or when you're filling dead space, I prep for every single one of those scenarios ahead of time because I don't want to be left in a situation with my pants
1: down. Again. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right, for your your hosting roles, uh, Saturday, NFL Honors, how do you think you did, 1 to 10?
0: Um, Probably an eight.
1: That's was really solid. Yeah, it she was good.
0: It. it was good, man. Nice, nice job, man. I got killed at eight there. My other hosting role, probably a solid eight. Tomahawk nice. show, me and you, definitely a, a ten. ten. Ten out of ten. Those were tons. Those were ten pluses. Tens. I mean, it was a good week, dude. It was a good week. Yep. Now it's time to go to our pick'em contest, John. What do you got?
2: So there were 11 playoff games. We had four people who got nine out of 11. So shouts to all four of them. Corey, Mm. Kelly, Wesley, Brian. It came down to a tiebreaker. Brian Lynch guessed the total score of the game, the amount of points scored exactly at 51. So congratulations Mm. to Brian Lynch. You are the winner of the Tomah Flock Playoff Pick'em Contest. In terms of our staff and host picks, Post Malone, eight out of 11, not bad. Andrew Hawkins, 7 for 11. Congratulations on beating Joe Thomas. That was easy. 5 for 11, and I went 6 mm. for 11. TD only picked the first week, so he yeah. went 3 for 11.
0: Yeah, well, he sucks. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah,
2: there Not you go. Not so good. So I will say
1: that I, I, was, I was really bad throughout the playoffs, but I feel like I completely redeemed myself on Super Bowl Sunday because if you go back and watch all eight hours of pregame that I did <laughs> – I honestly, and this is blowing smoke up my own butt, I know that, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to accept do it, it. it this time. I actually predicted almost every single thing that happened in the game from the Chiefs were going to win and how much they were going to win by, uh, that Patrick Mahomes was going to be the MVP, mm-hmm. that Patrick Mahomes was going to have a game-winning drive with about two minutes left and throw a touchdown pass. I mean, you're really going out on a limb there, Joe. Hey, if I went out on a limb, I would have been wrong. <laughs> so i told you exactly what was going to happen i also said that uh sammy watkins was going to have a big moment in the game that was going to be a turning point in the game i said mitchell uh-huh. schwartz was going to be an uh, underrated x factor and he was and the way he passed Prode was flawless he was the highest rated uh chief i think in that game uh by pff or one of the top rated guys from pff uh-huh. um I said the biggest matchup is going to be the 49ers defensive line versus the Chiefs offensive line, and the outcome of that battle is going to determine the game and exactly what happened when the Chiefs started blocking them up in the second half, and they went and um, started chipping and adding with running backs and tight ends to help for an extra second. Uh They were able to give Patrick Mahomes more time, and then that extra time against that defensive line kind of turned the tides in the second half. And I even said that when Patrick Mahomes has more than three seconds to throw – that's going to be the defining line, and that turned out to be the defining line in the game.
0: Joe Stradamus, man. That's why they call you Joe Stradamus. It was a, it was
1: a, good, it was a good day for predictions. It was. Unlike the entire playoffs, <laughs> Sunday was a really good day for Joe Stradamus predictions.
0: I can't believe I changed my pick.
1: I went with my heart. That's well, why hey, heart hey, I'm going to be honest.
0: The only reason you did that, to that is to cover your bases. You were hedging your bets. Hedge your bets, man.
1: You really didn't believe it, but I did. you were just doing it in case so that you could come well, on no, and say, well, I, I picked you know, the 49ers.
0: I really, I wanted them to win. I wanted the 49ers to win. I did. Um, yeah. Put on the Tomahawk t-shirt. Your heart's an idiot. All right. We're going to get going here. We're going to, because Joe sounds like a mix between Jake Glazer and Casey Kasem right now. <laughs> so we're going to try to get him some rest for his voice. Joe, what do you got coming? What's next for Joe and Hawk is what's on the rundown, but I'm Hawk. Um, I'm going to be at Combine doing some stuff for the NFL Network there. I'm going to be at the draft. The Tomahawk is going to take a couple-week hiatus. It's been a long season. We've been giving you the goods week in and week out multiple times a week. It's time for a little bit of a break. I might go on a vacation. Um, Never done that before. I heard they're awesome. I'm going to see about it. I don't believe you. Yeah, Vacation for you is like a red-eye flight where you close your eyes. (laughs) and Get to catch up on work. Um, what do you got going, Joe? You got anything, any vacays coming up, something special? How are you going to spend your time now that the season is over?
1: Yeah, so like you mentioned, uh, things slow down. Obviously, now that the season's over, we'll be hitting a few Tomahawk shows, um, some NFL Network content, total access. I'll mm-hmm. be at the Combine kind of breaking down the, the big guy drills, which I did with Sean O'Hara last year, which was a lot of fun. Yep. And I'm looking forward to doing it again this year because you really get to learn a lot about these guys. When you get to see them on the field, you can see how they move, see how they bend. kind of use my 11 years of NFL eyeball experience on these guys and try to uh, relay to the listener what they should be looking for and uh, give them some insight on maybe if this guy's going to live up to the hype or this is the guy that nobody's talking about, but look how well he moves, look at how he bends his ankles, look how he creates power from the ground up. Mm -hmm. Um, Fun things like that that Hawk already took a nap on. Uh, But there's there's a big non-football announcement coming for me next week and uh, I'm not allowed to, to say about it, uh, to <sighs> talk about it just yet, but um, this is The Tease. It's a, it's a big-time game show that I'm going to be on. Whoa. Uh, multi-episode. Wheel of Fortune. And uh, it's... No. Price uh, is I right. I don't know how many viewers that Wheel of Fortune gets, but this is no over 8 million viewers per episode. Uh, so it's going to be a big a big step the up wall. for Tomahawk here. I, I cannot confirm nor deny it's not the Jeopardy. show, but it will be huge. I'm not even in the same ballpark as the guys that sweep the floor of Jeopardy when it comes to brain <laughs> capacity. So I will not be on Jeopardy. <laughs> the janitors at Jeopardy are 10 times smarter than Now, you. but I tell you what, so after I go on this game show, which will be a huge hit, they'll easily double their viewership. Yep. I think you and I should do Amazing Race. I think that's the next thing we Amazing should do. Amazing Race. All right.
0: I'll start training now. And I will also watch my first episode. At some point, and, and I'll Google it right after this episode of what exactly the amazing, I'll, I'll figure out what amazing that is race is. Uh,
1: sounds amazing. <laughs> but
0: I'm going to commit to it right now. I'm down for it. All right. Well, I think that does it for this episode of the Tomahawk and this season of the Tomahawk. It has been a wild ride. We love you all. Um, shout out to my co-host, Joe Thomas. Shout out to John. Shout out to DJ Chris, uh, Logan, Donnie, Saul, TD, Lojo, Maddie Memes. Of course, Maddie Memes. Uh, yeah, everybody who helps put the Tomahawk show on, AP, uninterrupted. Shout out to the NFL Network for the incredible collaboration at Super Bowl. Only onward and upward from here, um, Joe Thomas, a.k.a. Casey Kasem. Take us out, buddy. Joe Hawk yourself.